You are listening to The Christian Commute, a commute-length podcast about Christian apologetics, theology, and other matters of Christian interest. Here is your host, Seth Dunn. Friday, August 25th. This is The Christian Commute. I am your host, Seth Dunn, and you're riding home with me from the gas station. The computer says it's 95 degrees. When I got in the car, this is my car's temperature computer, mind you. When I got in the car to leave my office, it said 104. So it is absolutely miserable here in Georgia today. I have my Kia Soul air conditioned cranked up as far as it will go. And when you're in an old car like this, it makes you nervous. I'm gonna tell you this, the minute this car, the air conditioner starts working, stops working, it's gone. Any car I have in Georgia, Tennessee where I live the air conditioners gone scrapyard it's worthless so I got this thing going <coughs> trying to stay cool on the Christian commute there's a Carswell high school football game tonight there ain't no way I'm going to that even though it may cool down so that's what's going on I'm doing the Christian commute on the kind of day that kills old people. This is seriously the kind of day where if old people go outside or their air conditioner fails, they'll die. I'm serious. That's how hot it is here. So I'm just trying to make my way. Let me apologize for not having a show Thursday. I had food poisoning and I woke up at 3 a.m. with horrible piercing stomach pains. And I'm pretty sure I got food poisoning from eating dinner at Waffle House. I don't know if I'll be back to that particular Waffle House in a while. Don't know if I'll ever eat the Waffle House grilled chicken sandwich again. But I did not go to work Thursday. I was in horrible sick pain until about 10, 10 or 11, and then I worked from home. So that's why there was no Christian commute. Sorry. Uh, correction. I said, this is not a theological correction, I said in a previous show that my dog Rocket was a purebred golden retriever. He's not. My deceased dog Jake, who was my birthday present for my 15th birthday, was a purebred golden retriever. He's been dead uh, since almost since I got married. Uh, Rocket is a purebred black Labrador, and he's beautiful. And uh, he, he didn't come home, but we got him back. He ended up three miles from my house at our city's water treatment plant. So thank you to the guys at the water treatment plant who found him and Dottie who followed him. But Dottie is so loyal. She followed him out the, out the hole in the fence. So I got my dogs back. That's positive. I think I'm over my case of food poisoning. That's positive. And it's time for a full episode of the Christian Commute. That's positive because Aaron from Texas came through with a question where there were none. We're continuing in our series of shows, Grave to Cradle. This is Grave to Cradle, Young Marrieds. Young Marrieds. And I think... What I mean by young marrieds is anybody who's been married for the first time and maybe they're only married for less than five or ten years. Young marrieds. So not the baby boomers. I guess the baby boomers are getting to be senior citizens now. But young marrieds, you know the the group I'm talking about. The young marrieds. 
we're going to do cradle to grave and how the church managers do customer relationship management with the young marrieds. Can I say this before I move on? Like, I'm sitting here criticizing how it's not biblical and how it's manipulative and how it's like a business and how it needs to change. Do you know there are other podcasts and there are textbook out, textbooks out there that are about the same thing, but they're telling you how to do it as a, as a minister? Like, like, giving you directions on how to operate your church this way. So I just want to disabuse anybody of the notion that I'm talking about, oh, this is a good thing. This is how we should do it. No! I'm saying this is a problem. We need to stop doing things this way. And I'm trying to open your eyes to the way you're being managed as a customer and not pastored as a sheep. Just so you know, I have a question in the inbox about open theology. Interesting question. And as always, we have the Bible chapter of you. Matthew chapter 24. We continue there. We're in verses 9 through 14. So Matthew chapter 24, verses 9 through 14. Oops! I knocked my sticky note right off the steering wheel trying to turn my turn signal off. There we go. So Jesus has, has talked about false prophets coming. He's talked about wars and rumors of wars and natural disasters and famines, birth pains uh, that have to come before the end. He says this, Then they will hand you over to tribulation and kill you. By the way, when, pre uh, when dispensationalists talk about the tribulation, I don't think he means this. But anyway. They will hand you over to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. And at that time, many will fall away, and they will betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will rise up and mislead my people. And because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will become cold. But he who endures to the end will be saved. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. When I was just starting seminary, the past the president of the Southern Baptist Convention was Bryant Wright. By the way, I'm not exegeting. I'm telling you something. Uh, the pastor of the Southern Baptist Convention was Bryant Wright. This would have been, I want to say, maybe 2009, 2010. And I went to a satellite campus at Johnson Ferry Baptist Church that was Bryant Wright's church. And if you ever go there, you'll notice in the parking lot, there's flags from all the different countries around the world. And when you leave the church, it says you are now entering the mission field. And the theme of Bryant Wright's presidency was this right here from Matthew. Preach to all nations and then the end will come. And the idea, there's people who believe this. Think about coming out of the Lusane Conference and the, the identification of people groups. So there's this thing defined in missiology, this extra-biblical idea of an unreached people group. And that is any specific ethnicity, an ethnos, what we would call what in Bible terms a nation. It doesn't have to be a country. So not like China, 
but say Mandarin or Cantonese, like an ethnic group of people. So not Korean, but maybe Hmong, or how do you say that with an H? Hmong or Hmong? Hmong or Koreans, because those are two different ethnicities from Korea. So there are ethnic groups, which may or may not make up a country with a flag, but they're unreached if they are less, is it less than 2% or 6% evangelical? I can't remember. Because I think the idea is if you're 6% evangelical, you don't need foreign missionaries coming there anymore. The local Christians can evangelize themselves. But there are people believe, who believe, and I think Bright Wright may have been one of them, given the theme of his presidency, that once you identify all the unreached people groups and eliminate them as unreached people groups, making them 6% evangelical, then all the nations of the world will have therefore been reached and then that will usher in the end times. So this verse has very serious ramifications today in, uh, in the world of missiology. Which, by the way, all Bible verses should, shouldn't they? So just be aware of that. So here's the thing, and I'm not a preterist, because full of preterism is heresy. I'm not a preterist. A bunch of this stuff has already happened. Yes, still today, people are hated for the sake of Jesus. People who go, missionaries, who go to hostile nations. Even today, there are missionaries with the International Mission Board, and they will not tell you where they're embedded. Lest that get out. Because if they're in a Muslim country, for example, people will search them out and kill them, because it's not legal to be anything but uh, a Muslim in those countries. Or at least somebody who you can only evangelize Islam. Even though that's bad news, not good news. There's no good news in Islam. I don't even think Muhammad said oh, he didn't even know if he was going to heaven. It's all about the scales. Let's not get in a rabbit trail. But we know from history that the disciples who, we were, who, who he was talking to were handed over to tribulation and killed. And they were hated because of the name of Jesus. Right after the resurrection, they were put, called in on the carpet before the Sanhedrin. They were beaten. And they were like, listen, we can't not preach. We have to preach Jesus. And Jesus told them, you know, remember, he says, you're going to be called in on the carpet. And they didn't have carpet back then. I'm paraphrasing. The New, Seth, New Living Seth translation. You're going to be called in on the carpet. And the Holy Spirit will give you utterance. They'll give you the words to say. So they were. They were hated because of the name of Jesus. Jesus was hated because they crucified him. And he says, many will fall away. Many did fall away. That's where we get the novation and Donatist controversies in the early church. They will betray and hate one another. They did that. And by the way, this still happened throughout church history. This is, a, I think, a semi-fictional movie. But if you've ever seen Silence by Martin Scorsese, it stars, oh, Kyle, who's Kylo Ren? I'm blanking on his name. He's a good, Adam Driver. It stars Adam Driver, Andrew Garfield, who's Spider-Man, one of the Spider-Men, and Liam Neeson, who has a very particular set of skills. And Liam Neeson plays a priest who went out as a missionary to feudal Japan and he disappeared. And two of his students, Adam Driver and uh, Andrew Garfield, go to look for him because there's rumors that he apostatized. And then they go through a lot of persecution and tribulation. And yes, I know, they're Roman Catholics. They don't have the real gospel. But even in that, even that movie, like there's, there's a guy who's supposed to be on their side, but then he betrays them under pressure. Like what happened in the Don 
Donatist innovation controversy. So this has happened throughout church history. And it happened in the lives of the apostles, and I think it still happens today. And many false prophets will arise and, arise and mislead my people. That happened then, and it's still happening now. And the love of people will come cold because of the lawlessness. But he who endures at the end will be saved. Saved by God, not necessarily their life being saved. Because he said people who believe in him are going to be killed. Even some of the disciples he's talking to. But despite all of this, and this is still going on today, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world. And this started at Pentecost when people from all different languages were there and heard the gospel preached, some in their own tongue, because of the tongues of fire. And this is still going on today. And there's still people being preached to through the whole world. Now, I don't have any definitions of unreached people groups. It's my belief that the end could come at any moment. But Jesus is saying there's going to be this persecution in their lifetimes. Then the gospel is going to go out to the whole world. It is going out to the whole world. It has gone out to the whole world. Even parts of the world these people didn't even know about. Nations they didn't even know existed. And it's gone out. And then the end will come. So Jesus is talking about things that are going to happen in this generation, like the destruction of the temple, the killing of the disciples, the persecution. It just so happens persecution has continued throughout church history. And then the end will come. Now let's go to the inbox. Do you have a question about Christian theology or apologetics? If you do, send it to SethDunn88 at gmail.com. SethDunn88 at gmail.com. Or you can dial 470-315-0875. The Christian Commute is your theological roadside assistance. And after I answer this question, the inbox will be empty. So I need another one. Thank you, Erin, for coming through. I think she came through last night. And her question is this. Can you explain open and relational theology? I had to look this up. I know what open theism is, and this is I think this is just a different name for open theism. And this particular heretic is an emerging heretic. I heard John Harris talk about him on uh, the Conversations That Matter podcast this morning. But John Harris was talking about uh, LGBTQ plus WXYZ sodomite issues in the Nazarene church. And this guy... Dr. Ord, I don't know how to pronounce it, O-O-R-D, came up. He has sort of his thing, his book that he teaches on, his institute that he does, his open and relational theology. And he's coming out of the Nazarene church. And I think the Nazarenes are trying to kick him out. So the Nazarenes, they're one of those Wesleyan holiness denominations that are sort of in the middle of the mainline and the evangelical. They're becoming woke, but there's still some people who are gospel-believing people in there. Uh, so it's not surprising that this guy came out of there. So Aaron asked about open and relational theology, and I'm going to get to that, and I'm not trying to make an ad hominem, but the guy who's the driving force behind this is pro-gay, uh, pro and he doesn't believe God created the world ex nihilo. I read up about this guy. So he's a big-time heretic, not just about this. So open and relational theology is another form of open theism, which is not a new heresy, but it's another form of it. And the openness is the idea that the future is open because of free will. And I think the relational part has to do with that God is affected by the relationships he has with man 
and and vice versa. Okay, so I, I definitely think mankind's affected by our relationship with God, and God's a relational being. He, in eternity past, he's tripersonal, but I don't. You know, God that God's immutable, so I don't think our relationships with Him affect Him. Anyway, let's talk about open theism, because open and relational theology is just sort of another name for open theism. And if you're looking for names, like scholars who believe in this, contemporary scholars, I think Greg Boyd and Clark Pinnock would be good examples. Clark Pinnock used to teach at my seminary, and he doesn't anymore, because the conservative resurgence was like, bye, Clark Pinnock. <coughs> I have an article at Pull Pin Pin, an old one, about Lifeway not selling Clark Pinnock. Clark Pinnock. Anyway, so let's first differentiate between two similar concepts, open theism and process theology. So process theologians believe that God himself is still learning and evolving and working it out. So we as humans... We grow and mature, and the things we thought were the best idea maybe 10 years ago, we don't think are the best idea now because we learn from experience, and we're growing into the person that we're ultimately going to be when we reach full emotional and spiritual and physical maturity. Even adults grow. I grew today. Somebody wrote me something about a rule. And I am autistic, and I'm like the Borg, and only rules are relevant, not how anybody feels. But I said, the rule is this, but in the interest of fairness, there's also this to consider. Because I know other people care about that. So I'm growing. We're all growing, aren't we? Being edified. And process theologians, they believe that about God. So they look at the problems in the world. People think, well, God's supposed to be omniscient and omnipresent and all good. Why do we have all these problems in the world? Oh, because it's a process. God's still working it out. That's process theology. Open theism is somewhat similar. It's the idea that God doesn't know the future due to the free will decisions of his creatures. And it's not surprising to see someone who is a Nazarene coming into open uh, theism because that's the ditch you can fall into when you're a Wesleyan or out of the holiness movement because Wesleyan and holiness people they're free will Baptists too they believe in our free will decision to get saved and in the Wesleyan theology if, well, if you can choose to get saved you can lose your salvation and, well, if God picks you to get saved, well, is there any really merit in that? You know, what's, does that have anything to do with you? So there's, there's this idea that if you have the free will and you exercised your free will to get saved, well, God granted you that free will. And God is so respective of free will that he's going to let people go to hell because of it. And he's going to let the world be in turmoil because of it. Open theism is a wrong apologetic reaction to the problem from evil. So there's all kind of theodicies out there that can fit into a biblical framework that aren't heretical. But open theism basically says there's evil in the world because God allows his creatures to make their free will decisions. And he, not that he can't stop them, but he just won't stop them. And because 
the world is affected by people's free will decisions, the future is open. God is not foreordaining the future. He's got a pretty good guess at it. Don't, by the way, don't get open theism confused with Molinism. Molinism is the idea that God foresaw every possible world based on the free will decisions of his creations. And he saw it all. Like from the end of the beginning and every little butterfly effect uh, cause, uh, cause, and, uh, cause and effect. And then he, he saw all that of all the potential possible worlds he could have created. He picked one and created that world. So Molinists still think that God is omniscient. He knows exactly what's going to happen and he's foreordained it all. So God has perfect knowledge of the future. But open theism, open theists believe that, that God is learning over time things he didn't know. Now here's the thing. God's omniscient, and it's 633. God knows that. God doesn't know it's 634. Do you know why? Because it's not 634. When it's 634 p.m. on whatever day this is, August whatever, God will know it. Now some people say he will have learned that. Well, he knew it was going to be 634. Open the, uh, theologians, open, open, ugh, ugh. They're such heretics. Openness guys. Ugh. They believe, open theism people believe that God learns things. Not in the way that he learned it was 634 to 633. Like God didn't know it was going to be 634. How about that? So God doesn't know if Joe Blow is going to accept Christ or not. He didn't know Paul was going to accept Christ. He had to make him an offer he couldn't refuse. You know? And I never understand in open theology, like, well, how is God making all these prophecies if he doesn't have the power to make people's free will decisions come? Like, how did he get Pharaoh not to let my people go? Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. And God hardened Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh said no. <laughs> when Israel was in Egypt land, let my people go. And because God is not into open theism, he made Pharaoh say no. Alright? But open theists believe that the world is being brought along and God just doesn't know what's going to happen. The future is open. Now, there are things he can do in his power, like God can bring the world to an end. So you, you'd have an open theist and they read Revelation. They say, all this is going to happen because God's going to bring the world to an end. And God can make pretty good guesses about what's going to happen since he's so smart and so powerful. He can, he can sort of manipulate things into existence. But because of people's free will... The future is open. That's open theism. You have a God who's not omniscient when it comes to foreknowledge. It's like God knows everything up to right now, but he doesn't foreknow what's going to happen. And in some ways, he's not really foreordaining it. So like I said, it's not surprising that this guy from a Nazarene background, because they believe in free will in your salvation. They believe you can lose your salvation. There's people who believe, and it's probably the Baptist sitting on either side of you this Sunday, believe their free will had something to do with their salvation, but then they say you can't lose your salvation. 
But the the Holiness Wesleyan people believe you can. So when I read that the guy who came up with this was Nazarene, I wasn't surprised. Man, I mean, I, my roommate in college, one of my roommates was a Nazarene, and he believed you could lose your salvation. I'm like, dude, we're in college. You're going to lose it. <laughs> Ugh. I, think, I think he's been disabused of that notion now. Not from living with me, but... That was my first experience with Nazarenes. I think there's one Nazarene church where I'm from. John Harris says there's about two million of them. And by the way, a lot of them would disagree with open theism. This guy, Ord, he seems more like a Mormon, and he believes in a pre-existent universe that had nothing to do with God, that God didn't create it, and you can choose and leave your salvation, and God learns things. Because the God of Mormonism, sort of, it's sort of an open theist God. He's a finite being the god of Mormonism is. There's actually a progression of gods in Mormonism. But yes, open theism is a heresy, and when they name it open and relational, it seems nice. Oh, it's about being, it's relational. It's, it's all about being, relationships are good. And no, it's just, it's just another name for the heresy that's open theism. Now let's talk about something that's not a heresy. It's just annoying. Grave to cradle. Young marrieds. Young Marries. So here's the deal. Here's what happens. People grow up in church and then they get out and they go to college and they get out in the world and church isn't as important to them anymore. And then they get married and then they're starting to have kids and they think, well, when I was a kid, I went to church. I better get my kids into church. So they start shopping for a church. I think a lot of folks get started or maybe restarted in church that way. That is not a good way of thinking. Never forsake the gathering together in the brethren. That's not a biblical idea. <clears throat> so maybe they're in a new town, they got a spouse, and you, know, you got a Baptist marry a Methodist. People are so doctrinal, they will be unequally yoked. I remember when I saw my beautiful wife, I was like, oh, please. Oh, please be a Baptist. Oh, you're gorgeous. And she was. Hooray. <laughs> I got a pretty good chance of that down here. <sighs> but churches know these people want to come. And listen, <clears throat> they know they're adoctrinal. And they know they're not super serious about church because they'll just kind of come and go. They weren't already in the church. So that's one type of young married. The other type of young married is the people, the little cradle Christians who came up through the singles ministry, maybe they met their their spouse in the singles ministry. And now they're young married. So they're moving away from the married class. And now they're young marrieds and they're gonna have they're gonna have the newly and nearly wed Sunday school class. I've been in one of those, I bet a lot of you have. They're gonna hear the Tommy Nelson uh, video series where he talks about Song of Solomon. And all the sexy stuff that's going in in Song of Solomon. You can't believe we're talking about this at church. And then from there, they're going to go into a Sunday school class where somebody about 10 years older with older kids is Sunday schooling them. Now remember, the old folks are going to, they're going to Apple Country in the church bus. And it's, that's all about, that's what they do. That's their outing. They're widowed and widowers. The parents of the adult children, the, the, the baby boomers, 
the people who are about to retire, uh, everything they do is about couples. And they don't really hang out with their teenage kids. Their teenage kids are over in the youth ministry being entertained. And a, a lot of it's about marriage counseling and keeping them together and keeping that spark and that fire alive. But then you got the young marrieds. Now their kids, they're elementary school aged. Even though I'm 41, I think this is my group. This is where you'd put me. So they're going to have a lot of family stuff advertised to them. And this is another one of those demographics that may not have a specific age group pastor assigned to it. A lot of pastors or a lot of churches basically skip from the youth pastor to the senior adult pastor or care pastor and they don't have all the in the middle stuff. You're only going to really see pastors specifically for the young marrieds at a mega church like a First Baptist Woodstock. And you got to think, why are these people who are adoctrinal there? Why are they coming to this church? Well, because there's something for their kids. They want to put their kids in church, and there's something for the kids there. This is where the worst of the worst youth ministry comes from. Like Ronnie Floyd's fire truck baptistry. Like your Disneyfied children's rooms. Uh, some Like live puppet shows. <clears throat> this is where that comes from. And we talk about the parents of the older children. They got the youth minister or the youth pastor catering to the to the teenagers and then maybe the middle school people, but these people it's the little kids. This is like this is like Ninja Turtle youth ministry. I've talked about this before. Kids watch Ninja Turtles on Saturday morning. It's awesome. And then the 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 cereal and the action figures are for sale. I remember when I was a kid, there was a Nintendo-themed cartoon. And one of the characters was a king, and he was trapped in another dimension. And the bad guys had trapped him there. And the whole plot of the first season, or maybe the second season, was about we got to get the king out of the other dimension, and he's going to right the wrongs. And they finally got to where they could send one guy through the portal from the other dimension... And the king's like, I'm not going to come. I've got somebody to send who's even a bigger help. And it was Game Boy. <laughs> a, an anthropomorphic Game Boy flew through the system, <laughs> flew through the portal. Because they wanted you to buy Game Boys. And even as a kid, I got that. And I was like, oh, give me a break. But it's the parents who are buying what the kids want. So they try to make their church the church where the kids want to go. Again, it's not about couple-couple stuff. It's about, we're going to get your kids. And the couple stuff, they do that, but it's like, we're going to... You do the couple stuff, and like we're going to look after your kids while you do it. And these... Listen, this is lost leadership. We talk about lost leadership in business where you have a product that you don't make a lot of money on. Maybe you take a loss on it. But you know that product gets people interested in your business and product line. And you'll get customers through that, and then they'll buy the more expensive things. This is how the kid ministry, the kids aren't giving any money. So the people are spending a lot of money in kids ministry. Not for Sunday school books. I mean, they do. That's great that the kids have Sunday school books. I mean, you guys, I mean, that's why I bring my kids to the church where I go. 
I get up early and take them to Sunday school. They don't go to whatever the the so-called youth worship is there. But I'm big on Sunday school. And, you know, kudos to FBC where I go. My kids come out and they know who Noah and Moses and Abraham are, okay? So, yes, spend the money on Sunday school books. But there's also a lot of other things that go around in the kids' ministry for the purpose of managing the parents of young kids. Because they're in a specific life situation. They have new stress. They were married and everything was bliss. They had, they had a lot of money. They could have sex whenever they wanted. Do you remember when you first got married? Oh, it's the morning. We're just going to have sex and sleep in. And then we got so much money, we're just going to go out and go out and eat at a nice restaurant and spend a lot of money at Home Depot. And we're going to do whatever we want. And now all of a sudden you got young children. And there you wake up in the morning and they're there. They've crawled in between you. And your wife stayed up late feeding them and cleaning and she looks awful and she knows it and because she feels ugly she doesn't want you to touch her because that's how women are and you got that strain in your marriage and you're getting used to the you're getting used to these little monsters running around your house eating you out of house and home and now you've got less money because your wife has had to quit her job or because now you got to pay for daycare and daycare is basically like a mortgage payment I've never understood people that one kid and <laughs> her two kids and like we're going to do daycare and like so what your wife can miss raising her two kids and pay 80% of her salary to daycare she must really like whatever her job is because she's doing it for fun <sighs> so they will disnify disnify the, the children's area. And I, I'm, not, I'm not exaggerating about this. Churches, uh, Cross Church, Ronnie Floyd's church is a seminal example, but other churches have that literally bring in Disney engineers, Imagineers, to design like theme park-like places. And the bigger the, the church, the more ornate it gets. So you have these young marrieds and they have like sort of the mentor and advisor Sunday school teacher who's been there before they're 40 50 years old they've probably got some Wednesday night uh, classes after at that Wednesday night church where it's like not necessarily a Bible study but maybe something on on parenting because they're still learning so the church is is visualizing or uh, anticipating the felt needs of these people and they're spending a lot of money on bringing their children in in the hopes that as they grow, they'll make that their church home and then the money will come. Like, Seth, don't you're being, oh, Seth, you know, they're trying to save those kids. And by the way, that is the thought of a lot of youth ministry is like their parents are lost. They don't care. They're adoctrinal. It's great if we can get them on par parking lot duty. But if we can... In, in, and well, what's the word I want to use? If we can tantalize their children, incentivize their children, make it fun that the children want to come, we can share the gospel with them and get them into church because their parents wouldn't share the gospel with them and wouldn't bring them. And if their church or their parents are coming, sitting, they're not going to get hurt sitting in the, the worship center. They're here the gospel too. Maybe they'll get saved. So kids ministry is a huge outreach 
evangelistically, not just to the children, but to the young marrieds. And there's a line there somewhere. Because I believe there's plenty of people in those ministries who are seriously trying to evangelize people, but I also believe there's some guy who gets paid based on numbers, that CSR age group pastor, who's really just, just trying to grow numbers any way he can. And he will dechurchify a church for those little kids if it means he can grow his numbers. And do you know why we have the jokes of worship services like we do today with people singing elevation songs to fog and lights? And Andy Stanley's church is the extreme example. But when you got your, your Maverick City, Brandon Lake, Bethel stuff going on, that's because people think church is supposed to be like a party and it's, it's fun. Andy Stanley's church is basically a, a youth pizza party for adults. That's How did it come that way? Because that's how those kids were brought in. It wasn't about uh, discipleship and holiness. It's about this is, people, I, this is where I come to be catered to and have fun. And we're going to make a profession of faith. I don't much believe your professions of faith if I don't see those children grow into maturity and discipleship and holiness. You could come and tell me you had 50 professions of faith, but if you're singing elevation, moving the mountains, and move it again, I don't, I don't believe it. It's just they're partying. By the way, do you know who one of the main CSRs for the young marrieds is? It's that music minister. Okay? And that's another ministry like you have at the, the, the mid-sized or small church. You've got the youth pastor and the music pastor. But the megas are going to have the age group pastors. But you you got that music pastor. You, you're going to sit and tell me, you're going to look me in the eye and tell me that the baby boomers and the old people like listening to the Jesus and my boy is my boyfriend songs from Maverick City and Elevation and Passion City. We all know that's not true. You know why? Look at them. If, if there's enough light in the worship center or the sanctuary or whatever you call it to see other people while they're singing, look around. The old people aren't singing that crap. They're not. I mean, go talk to my parents. I talk to my parents. My parents, they sing. They want to sing the old stuff. They, they, but what it is, is there's a bunch of those older people and they're tolerating it, even though they don't like it because they think the younger people like it. It's all about getting the younger people to come. So you got to think about that young adult mom listening to 1047 The Fish and she's bebopping along to Kari Job and Brandon Lake and whatever they're singing about and she wants she hears that in church that's her jam. Cuz she I mean she's sitting there crying through her day when her kids are throwing Cheerios all over the minivan and the, her only solace is the fish music and then she goes to church for the fish concert. Not fish, P-I-S-H. Not the jam band fish. The 104.7 fish. Although I, probably a lot of these churches... You go to a Pentecostal church, sometimes you think you're listening to fish. -na 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 -na. Somebody's got back pain, I can feel it. Come on down! Jibba-jabba-honky-talking, taking 3Y2K Pokemon, no SM Fortante, to a tackle of, to a tongue of Iola, Jay Barker, on Roma should do. 
You know, they're just saying that. Okay? They have, I, I, I remember going to the Pentecostal church and I'm like, this is like a widespread panic concert. Well, you go to one of those concerts and people are all drugged out. I've never been to one. They're all drugged out. And it's sort of the Pentecostals the same way. They're drugged out on that Holy Ghost laughter. Anyway, <laughs> that music minister, <laughs> he better keep those numbers up or he's gone. Okay, he has a job. You think they call him the worship pastor. He's going to bring us to the throne today. No, he's not. Their worship pastor's job is to keep seven to ten uh, theologically weak and ignorant people who, who are good at singing and playing instruments, volunteering to singing horrible songs that sound good to young, specifically moms in the young marrieds. The least doctrinally sound and discipleshipped and most consumeristic and frazzled age group, listen to me, is being catered to at music time at your church. And it's the music minister's job to do it. You think it's about a theology of worship? No. It's about keeping those people who might be goats entertained. We're going to get in the young marrieds. They're in their Sunday school class with their 40-year-old mentor talking about their feelings and what does this mean to you out of the Lifeway Ministry literature. Their kids are in party time doing the church clap and playing video games in between uh, the time of the changeover from Sunday school to the children's worship. I'm going to get to the children's worship, I guess, when I get down. We're going towards the cradle. I, I don't want to I don't want to move too far. I want to go in order and milk all the shows I can out of this show topic. But they get them separated, they get them entertained, and they get them coming, and eventually those kids grow up, those parents have more money, and they start filling those church coffers. The old people die, and they're replaced by young people. It's like cigarettes, right? Cigarette companies, I mean, every company's customers die. I don't care if it's the hardware store. The guy eventually dies. You better hope his son comes in and buys hardware. Well, I already got all my dad's hardware. What do I need you for? But think about cigarette companies. They're killing people fast. And they know it. And they need Joe Campbell to bring in the young ones. They want you started smoking early. Okay? Church is the same way. Those golden years people, they... 20 of them go to L.A.J. to get apples and like 15 come back because five of them died of heart attacks in old age. All right? They better get those young marrieds in there to keep filling up the numbers. And it's a numbers game. You get 100 of them in, 20 of them join the church, and 10 of them volunteer. And those volunteer ones are probably tithing. Again, lost leadership. Lost leadership numbers and that so-called music pastor. Who in the world is your music pastor, shepherd? If a music pastor, if a random music pastor, and I know there's good ones, if, uh, 
if a random music pastor and one half of Millie Vanilli was hanging off a cliff and I could only save one, I would save one half of Millie Vanilli. Knowing that Millie Vanilli lip-synced. Girl, you know it's true. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I love you. Hold on. Hold on. Big Eva's getting a hold of that. Lord, you know it's true. J-J-Jesus. I love you. Do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. You said you didn't need him. You told him goodbye. You started in sinful, wicked, evil life. And now you wish that you had had him. And you feel like such a fool. You want God back again. And you just don't feel the same. Gotta blame it on something. Gotta blame it on something. Get back in the game and get saved this morning. Get out of the rain. Live a holy life. Whatever you do, Jesus won't walk out on you. Get yourself saved. Yeah, yeah. Millie Vanilli, ladies. Millie Vanilli is a praise song. That's how much I, I, can I, I just disdain them so much. And listen, you should too. Because they're making an advertisement and a mockery out of worship time. I'm going to tell you this. The most, probably the most well-meaning people are the people ministering to those children, the lay people, and probably the most insidious, nefarious people are the church relationship managers trying to get those lost leader young marrieds in there and give them their felt needs, entertain their kids, and entertain them. And they really are the next generation. And that's the problem. That's the problem. We have got to turn that ship around. Or the church is headed for a big iceberg of it's going to get worse than it already is. Thanks for listening to the Christian Commute. Lord willing, I'll be back with you again Tuesday. What are we going to talk about Tuesday? Are we going to talk about... I don't know how much I can talk about the singles ministry. Maybe we'll combine singles and youth. I don't know. But Lord willing, I'll be back with you again Tuesday to talk about that. As always, God bless. And as always, remember, Christianity is not about getting saved. It's about being saved. Baby. Boo, boo, boo. Don't forget Thanks for listening to the Christian Commute. Please send your questions about Christian apologetics and theology to sethdunn88 at gmail.com. If you are not a Christian, please remember that you can be reconciled to God through the shed blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent of your sins now and accept Jesus as Lord. God bless.